Welcome to Passion Play Profit. I'm your host, Peter Liu, and I'll be interviewing both young and grizzled entrepreneurs to teach you how to find your passion, play, enjoy, persevere in the game of business, and get rewarded for it. Today, I'm privileged and honored to be joined by the Vice President of Platform Engineering at Anaconda, which is the world's most popular and trusted Python slash R platform for data science, machine learning, and AI. He was the founder of two companies, Immersive Technologies and Cycle Computing, which was acquired by Microsoft in 2017. Rob Futrick, welcome to the show, and let's talk about how you've turned your passion to play to profit. Thank you very much, Peter. I really appreciate that, and uh, thank you for the very uh, kind and detailed introduction. As always, pleasure is completely mine. I'd love to learn about your childhood because I firmly believe that's how someone develops, you know, an entrepreneurial mindset or whatever, you know, that gives them the confidence and boost and motivation to become who they are today. So what was your childhood like and how did that impact you to create, you know, and pursue your major in CS? That's an interesting question. I never really, I never really took it back that far. So mm -hmm. um, I have a twin brother uh, fraternal, so we were clearly brothers. Mm. Um, but we don't we don't really look alike other than that. Um, and growing up, we definitely had a bit of that spark. I, I think I had a very supportive family. I was very lucky in that regard. Mm. And so, like you know, the the corner lemonade stand, and the, like, we tried ice cream shop. And we you know all the mm. little kind of small businesses and things like that. Um, my parents were always kind of fully supportive, and and as long as, long as we were being yeah. safe, uh, we did try to set up a lemonade stand on an extremely busy street, and they said no to that. Okay. Um, but that kind of spark, uh, I think maybe maybe it's partially because I have my brother with me doing it. Um, I think it was just my personality. I I, I was a bit more outgoing uh, mm -hmm. and kind of just as a kid. And what's interesting though is is you know we grew up. Uh, you know I didn't I didn't actually have a computer until I went to college. It was wow. my high school graduation gift. And uh, an aunt, uh, my dad's sister, got me a computer for graduating high school. Um, and uh, I actually picked computer science. I don't want to say as a lark, but uh, mm. uh, my parents had babysat. Uh, this this uh, gentleman was very, very successful lawyer in the Philadelphia mm. region. I grew up in Philadelphia, uh, Northeast, and uh, very successful lawyer. Right. And so my parents had babysat his kids growing up, and then they babysat my brother and I growing up. And mm. so I was young. I don't know. 10-ish, you know, maybe a little younger. And I just asked him one day, like, what do you do, you know, for this house that I'm in? Yeah. Um, you know, what do you do? And he's like, let me tell you all about patent law. Wow. And so he had been, uh, I think, a mechanical engineer and he'd gotten into, into law. And then mm -hmm. that seemed really, I, weirdly enough, that seemed really exciting to me. But at the time I was thinking, well, mechanical engineering made sense when you were in school, but maybe for mm -hmm. me, computer science, you know, computers seem like right. the, the, the future in that area. And so I actually went into computer science with the original goal of becoming a lawyer. And mm -hmm. then um, I just liked it so much that uh -huh. I felt, well, you know, software people work a lot of hours and lawyers work a lot of hours, but if I'm going to yes. be work working very intensely, I should yeah. do it on something that I really enjoy and I feel a lot of right. passion for. Exactly. And so I, that was it. I, I stuck with programming. I also felt a chip on my shoulder. I had to catch up mm -hmm. to people that had been programming since they could for walk. Sure. And exactly. so uh, my co-founder, there were several of us that co-founded immersive technologies together, but the primary co-founder mm -hmm. guy uh, named Jason Stowe, uh, mm -hmm. he, you know, he, he was one of those people who'd been programming forever. And mm -hmm. so, um, uh, so yeah, so I, I actually had met Jason my sophomore year in college and uh, he was on a mission. He was like, mm -hmm. a, like a driven entrepreneur. When you think of somebody who can't stop coming up with ideas yeah. for businesses, that's Jason. And so uh, Jason and I were, were partners in our, in our programming projects, things like that. And he actually is the one who was really kind of, dude, we're, we're going to do something together. I don't know right. what it is yet, but we're going to do something right. together. And I was actually a little bit more hesitant. I love that. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, we, 
basically decided, okay, we're just going to find a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we did, we came up with some cool technology that was the basis of, of immersive. And uh, the, you know, we went out and basically got it funded. Uh, mm-hmm. we, t- we took the entrepreneurship classes at Cornell right. um, and have since actually spoken uh, to the entrepreneurship classes uh, a couple of times. Jason, I think, continues to speak wow. uh, to, the, to the students there as one of the case studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's actually how we met uh, both some of our advisors to Immersive mm-hmm. as well as some of the eventual funders. Um, we were, in hindsight, an enterprise software company focused on mm-hmm. industrial design and manufacturing. Right. I didn't know any of that when we started it. Uh, We were more of the classic mistake of very cool technology in search Mm -hmm. of a product in search of a market. Um, But yeah, and that was, that was, that was where it started. And then the journey kind of actually kind of continued Um, Mm -hmm. during the, 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 uh, the dot-com crash. We weren't a dot-com again, but Mm -hmm. you know, our customers all started losing money and that was the, you know, we couldn't raise another round in 2002, 2003, but we had done a really cool project with Disney. It was a, not car, part of our core focus, mm-hmm. but at the time, if you were doing a renderer, if you know special effects right, and animations right. like that, they couldn't do things like skin and marble, anything that was kind of a translucent surface. Um, I won't go too much into that, but there's an, an effect called subsurface scattering when the light actually goes I in see. and it kind of bounces around. That's why a lot of movies around that time, things look very plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they uh, were, were hoping to do a film where uh, an actor had played himself at multiple points in his own life. Right. They were interested in maybe using our technology, even though, again, it was for manufacturing and, and industrial design Absolutely. for for that. The movie didn't get funded, so the project died. But the person, uh, the technical director, I believe she was, uh, she mm-hmm. left Disney. She went to Pixar and she ended up back at Disney a couple of years later. She reached mm-hmm. out to Jason and said, uh, Jason, you know, I remember we did some great work a couple of years ago. Would you want to come work at this rendering uh, animation company up in Toronto? Right. And so he went up there and was working with her and built out uh, kind of an entire uh, platform based on an open source tool called Condor time. Now it's called HT Condor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so this is like 2004 timeframe. And so he, again, longer story, he reached out right. to me and said, um, you know, we have an opportunity to basically provide uh, enterprise features and enterprise support and all kinds of, of um, value add Mm-hmm. Uh, for enterprises on top of Absolutely. open source. Very, very common model today, but right. again, in 2004 was not really the state of the world. JBoss had just been acquired by Oracle and, and obviously companies like Red Hat and others were, were yeah. popular, but it wasn't standard model. And so that was that was how we launched Cycle. And so in a weird way, this like this kind of continuous Nuts. path from you know my kind of maybe upbringing <laughs> and entrepreneurial background to college, meeting Jason, starting Immersive, right. leading the Cycle, and then so on that's from there. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's I, the very, very species. succinct summary. Yeah, no, that's 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 insane, and and honestly, like a lot of the members of my podcast that I've uh, interviewed have all found their co-founders right through school, right? People who are very close with them brought, you know, were grew, growing up together, um, and you know, obviously leveraged their uh, you know resources in college, right, as well. So, you know, especially Cornell since- was very supportive, by the way. So I, right. I apologize for interrupting, but Cornell was yeah. very supportive. The the entrepreneurship program at the, at the mm-hmm. time was a, a, a gentleman named Professor Ben Daniel. Um, right. He could not have been more kind of supportive and, and helpful the university itself was supportive um mm-hmm. i mean it was it was i have to give a lot of credit to cornell and i will always have a soft spot oh, for sure for how much in fact when i first wanted to i was, I was kind of thinking of even leaving mm-hmm. we dropped mm-hmm. out and i've never finished my degree really um, wow. yeah we dropped out of cornell wow. okay and uh and um, maybe someday I'll go back and, and finish something. But um, <laughs> uh, I went to talk to my uh, my parents again, back to the supportive environment, thinking mm-hmm. they would, you know, 
be kind of aghast Absolutely. at the idea that Absolutely. I drop out. And both of them were immediately like, oh, of course, of course you should take a chance. Like, why, <laughs> why wouldn't you uh, do this kind of thing? So then right. I went to talk to my faculty advisor. Same thing, immediately. Of wow. course you should leave. This is fantastic. Cornell will always be here. Mm-hmm. You know, take this opportunity. And, and uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't the reaction I was expecting, but it really made me feel so much more confident in taking right. the risk. I, you know, this is the perfect segue to my next question, which is, you know, what gave you so much confidence in yourself that you would be okay with taking that risk, right? What gave you such a high conviction in self, you know, assurance that this is the right move for you? So I think it's actually, I would say for me, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't that. Uh, so, so I think I compliment Jason very, very well. And, and some of the other right. co-founders um, and, and people I've connected with in that. Um, Jason's very confident and very, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's, let's take a chance. Let's swing for the fences. Right. And I was not as confident, but I definitely understood kind of the, the risk analysis. So I looked mm-hmm. at myself and said, look, I'm young. I I'm lucky. I'm healthy. Right. Um, I don't have any dependencies. You know, I don't have to take care of children. I don't have, uh, sick relatives. I, I, I had very low bar for right. what, what is the worst case scenario here? I, I try something. I learn a lot. And mm-hmm. I have to go back and finish the program I'm already in. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt very, almost like a, 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 again, to the advisor's kind of response, like, why wouldn't you take this chance? It's an opportunity. But I was actually very nervous, I think, but that helped because I, I approached the situation with a healthy humility of mm-hmm. the limits of my own knowledge and the limits of my own abilities. And so it, it you know, it didn't bother me if I wasn't the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which made working with my co-founders and, and, and others easy. I could I could hire the best right. and there was no ego issue. And also, I think it made me hungry to learn and to take right. advantage of situations. And so, you know, we failed a lot, um, right. but my ego wasn't wrapped up in being right or being correct or any of that For stuff. Sure. Um, and so it, it helped me, I think, grow. I love that. Yeah. And in speaking of failure, speaking of challenges, right? Um, perhaps what's the biggest challenge that blindsided you in the first venture that you weren't prepared for? And, you know, how did you and Jason prepare or sorry, how did you and Jason try to, you know, adapt, change and overcome that, um, you know, problem? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, it's, I'm not sure I could call out one thing. I think mm-hmm. you read, you know, you read a lot of books and you read right. a lot of, of, of kind of, postmortems and stories of other people right. and, the, and the ventures they tried and why they failed and, and or why mm-hmm. they succeeded. And I think um, you can, you can, it can be very hard to connect that back to kind right. of the, the situation you're in. And so I would read the books and it's like, Oh, how silly that they made this mistake where, you know, exactly. um, they got caught up in the technology and not in the customers and they caught, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of stuff. And then I went and proceeded to do a lot of those exact same mistakes. All in hindsight, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's and, yeah. and and even if you know you had told me don't do this in the moment, I would have told you I wasn't doing it. And then in hindsight, oh yeah, I was. Um, so there was a lot of that. I think I think being uh, uh, very very technical um, and very focused on engineering, mm-hmm. we probably could have used. Um, and and the the leaders we 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 brought in were also mm-hmm. very technical. We were just very very focused on that side of things. We would have benefited from somebody who was much much more. Um, I don't want to say customer driven. We were, but but I think we had a better sense of what it means to deliver a product that solves a problem. I see. Um, it, it 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 really at immersive. It was um, it was amazing technology, but in the beginning we were too focused on that, and it mm-hmm. took us a while to realize. Like, so I'll give you an example. So the, the core of the technology was this: we had right. a novel spatial subdivision 
that allowed you to take uh, you know a modeled scene like mm-hmm. the 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 you know, all the geometry that might compose like either right. you know a computer game or movie or whatever CAD design, and you could traverse through it very fast. So we basically had a linear uh, a linear speed algorithm for mm-hmm. uh, traversing through this nonlinear spatial subdivision, and it was also amenable to be implemented in hardware. That was one of the reasons why we wanted to do a funded startup was we were, we were at the time planning to actually go build uh, eventually ASICs uh, that went right. into servers. But even in software, this thing was an order of magnitude faster than anything else out there at the time. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. Um, and that was kind of, to me, was like, isn't, isn't that so cool? Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I couldn't kind of conceive how that wouldn't be a, a, an awesome business. Right. Exactly. And then we would meet with, you know, uh, you know, movie companies or architecture firms or, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, engineering companies. And they would say, that's great, but that's only 15% of our problem. So even if you optimized it to zero, it's only worth that much to us. Mm-hmm. And so there was a bit of a like, oh, we need to understand the problems that our customers have so that we Absolutely. can actually figure out how to help them more. And that's Absolutely. actually how we ended up getting into industrial design was auto, auto companies uh, at the time, and, and maybe to this day, I don't know, but at the mm-hmm. time we're spending just millions and millions and millions of dollars basically making one-off pieces of cars exactly. that they were designing for the future. And so the idea was, if, well, we have a physics-based system that could generate images that look real, not Photoshopped, but look mm-hmm. real based on actual design data, then they may not have to make so many physical prototypes. They could save millions of dollars. And we had plans to get into other areas around regulatory mm-hmm. and whatnot. And that was, that was absolutely intriguing to them. But it took a lot of working with the customers to really understand what is the automotive design process from beginning absolutely. to end and other kind of high-end manufacturing design process. And that was that was a pretty big lesson learned mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, it, it, it was expensive right. uh, to learn that lesson. And then also on the business side, like the idea, uh-huh. like I said earlier, we didn't understand the, the concept of enterprise sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, to me, it was like, oh, you have an awesome product. You go talk to somebody, they buy it and you're good. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're selling a, a multi-million dollar solution to a, a mm-hmm. Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company, right. that sales cycle might take 12 months, 18 months, exactly. two years. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so that side of learning was, was another kind of uh, rough thing. All of that we put to great use at Cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, again, getting back to kind of learning from our failures, um, and then also the 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 exposure to kind of counterparty risk. You know, in, in the, yeah. the 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 dot com crash hit, we weren't dot com. We thought we might right. be somewhat insulated, but the greater recession that caused, you of know, course. we got swept up yeah. in that too. I this is this is very very interesting, right? We always talk about sales as storytelling, right? You know, in convincing a customer, right, that our product is good for them. Um, and especially like you said, when you're talking to such high level clients, stakes are definitely high pressures on. Um, so for you specifically, right after, you know, your time with these two ventures, um, what are some strategies that you have used to perhaps gain and create that trust with your enterprise, with enterprise clients, right? What are some tactics that you use, right? And what are potentially like some long-term strategies, right? Since, you know, like you said, the timelines are pretty wide. Um, so What's that process like for you? Oh, that's a good question. So I, I think I'll generalize it for just a second. I think mm-hmm. my my number one tip for just relationships, everything is right. relationships, right. relationships in general. So if you're a manager, yeah. if you're, so if you're, a, if you're a, 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 a person who's looking to start a venture and you've never managed people before, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this applies to that, you're obviously working with partners, but establishing and maintaining that trust relationship is like kind of the basis of everything. Exactly. Um, so your partners, your customers, your, 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 your team members, et cetera. Um, and I think understanding that different people have different ways of establishing trust and maintaining mm-hmm. it. And, and there are different personality types, things like that. Like it's, you kind of have to learn to meet people where they are. But anyway, so right. when it comes to sales, uh, my 
I, I wouldn't consider myself a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think my approach has always been honesty. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that people are deliberately dishonest, but I think that there right. is a, sometimes I think there's a, um, and I felt it, a pressure to right. spin things or to mm-hmm. uh, hide maybe kind of the, the downsides or the gaps. And yeah. I think more often than not, a lot of people just want to know what the reality is, what the truth is. They want mm-hmm. some, some, some awareness and some clarity. And so providing that, that helps establish trust. Uh, and, and, and the other part of that is show, don't tell always right. matters. So, you know, you can talk all day about what your stuff can do, but, but exactly. being able to show them and being able to understand what their experience is doing that. So I would say for, for, you know, demos are great, but mm-hmm. getting things in people's hands. Um, I see. Uh, now, so cycle was interesting. We, we took a, a maybe this is a, a digression, but at immersive, you know, we were funded and there were mm-hmm. some issues with that. Um, and so at Cycle, we had kind of swung the pendulum the other way and decided we want to bootstrap this company. We don't want to mm-hmm. get funding. And so the way we bootstrapped it was we, we we did consulting. So the idea was that we would consult for people and we would essentially pay ourselves low enough that we would build up uh, you know, excess that we could then invest uh-huh. in product development. And we would use wow. the learnings from the consulting gigs in order to build the products. Um, <laughs> that has a whole set of downsides. Uh, I would right. absolutely recommend, especially say in a current uh, you know challenging uh-huh. macro environment, People trying to launch startups right now may say, "Oh, the funding environment is very different than it was a year ago." Um, the, 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 you know, the, 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 there's lots of challenges and friction mm-hmm. that wasn't there. Well, bootstrapping is absolutely something I would encourage people to do. You can always take funding later, um, but yeah. But the idea was that we would, we would, we would consult, and then we worked out with our clients—not all of them, but but the ones where we could—where we would be able to keep some of the intellectual property that we developed as long as it wasn't, it didn't include any proprietary information or kind of business sensitive stuff, um, and. Uh, uh, so we worked very closely with a lot of our customers. We had that kind of consulting relationship that helped us establish mm-hmm. trust. So then once, once we had products, we were kind of building off of a of an existing foundation. Right. Wow. That's insane. I mean, like, first of all, <laughs> it's a massive, massive, massive jump, right? Going from one to the other. And um, I mean, as well, like the company was very, very success- successful. You made an exit, right, to Microsoft in 2017, which is a fantastic, right? It's a dream for many founders. Um, perhaps, you know, how did that happen? Um, how was, how were you approached, right? Did you approach someone else? Um, you know, how do you, were you like, what were, what were you thinking at that time? I guess, like, were you willing to let go or, you know, um, were you willing to like potentially hold on to it for a little bit longer? So we were, that was a good question. Um, I actually am, <laughs> I'm not quite clear on exactly how much detail I can go into, uh, yeah. but in general, we were, we were approached by, we, we were in a very lucky situation. Mm-hmm. We were approached by multiple people. And mm-hmm. so that's a great situation, obviously, because then they're you know, right. kind of competing with each other and whatnot. But we had the absolute luck to be able to choose the place that we thought was really the best home, not just, you know, bluntly speaking for a paycheck or anything like that, but, but right. where did we, where did, where did this, this, where did our baby have the best mm-hmm. chance of kind of growing and maturing? Sure. And, um, there were really good models or really good arguments for, for or any of the people that we talked to, but Microsoft at the end, we felt was the greatest compliment, or I'll put it this way. I felt was mm-hmm. the greatest compliment mm-hmm. of our strengths and our weaknesses to their strengths. And maybe weaknesses might be the wrong term, but in the, in the HPC and AI space where, you know, how complementary were we to each other? Mm-hmm. And I think that that really, Paid out. I think we were we were absolutely right in in you know history has shown the success we, mm-hmm. we drove at Microsoft. Um, 
in that assessment. Um, and again, nothing against the people, the other, the other people we were talking to. Um, but you know, Microsoft is is an enterprise company. They understand course, how to right. work with, sell to. They have a massive uh, sales force. They have engineering, or sorry, uh, marketing, and, and all mm. these kinds of other things. As a bootstrapped company, right. we were never able to invest in those as much as we wanted to. And actually, I would tell this as a bootstrapper. Um, you really want finding great salespeople is very, very, very hard. It but is. that reward on that, that return on investment for good salespeople, like absolutely try to build out a, a, a sales force faster <laughs> yeah. than, than we did. Um, right. But yeah, so it, we felt we, we brought very deep domain expertise in the HPC and AI space and, and cloud. We brought relationships with a lot of great customers and mm -hmm. we brought a very, very solid brand. But then we basically were able to marry that to a world class. Uh, marketing, enterprise, sales, you know, everything else that Microsoft brought with them, not to mention the mm. fact that their engineering is also world-class. Exactly. And so it, it was, it was a great marriage and we drove some pretty amazing success uh, at Microsoft. Wow. That is phenomenal. And I, I actually kind of want to take a step back and really dive deeper into the bootstrapping element, because I feel like yeah. you, I've talked to so many founders, right. And it's always raised first, raised first, raised first. It's like that little hit of adrenaline was like validation, right? Like you have something that's worth it. Um, and obviously you, you kind of went against that path. Right. And I think a much smarter path. Um, but like, what are some of the most practical ways that you have, you know, tried to right? Reduce the costs for your businesses, right? You talked about consulting as like a form of income. Um, mm -hmm. What are some practical ways of reducing those costs, right? Um, and like, you know, how would you suggest maybe perhaps like a student or anyone along those lines to, you know, do something similar and uh, not have to- Great question. Know, raise, yeah. Great question. Um, so as I said, it's, it's always, you can always raise later. So the mm -hmm. nice thing about bootstrapping is even if you only do it for a little while, you can build uh, a more, you know, a, a, a solid, maybe establish more of a potential for the product or, or mm -hmm. potential interest is basic. It, it can hopefully give you a stronger um, argument when you go to raise. Uh, right. It could also maybe inform you that, no, this isn't going to work even if we do raise a lot of money or, or, right. or whatever else. Um, we were very early to the working remote. And so yes. we were, we were remote, you know, working from home from day one. Mm. And part of that was because as consultants, we often were flying to our clients, flying exactly. to partners, things like that. And so it didn't really yeah. matter. We were. In fact, in 2008, I moved briefly to Germany uh, wow. for family reasons. Um, it was a temporary move. I knew it was temporary, but I was going to be there for six mm -hmm. months. And uh, my clients didn't even know. And one day they found out and they kind of had this, this emergency meeting and pulled everyone yeah. in the room. And, and the gentleman who, who did know uh, told him, he's like, well, he's been working remotely for four months. Has anyone noticed? <laughs> and they all said no. And then he said, well, then, you know, what's the problem? Um, that helped. And then that also allowed us to attract some of the best talent. And that was a we chose that strategy. That was not a, a, uh, a kind of a fluke was there are a lot of amazing, amazing people and you know, 2005, 2007, 2010 that mm -hmm. didn't want to move to Silicon Valley. They didn't want to move exactly. to New York City. And, and many of them couldn't. They had family reasons. They had other things that, that meant. And so we were able to hire the best from wherever mm -hmm. we found them. And, um, and because we were a very mission-driven uh, team to really, we really wanted to make the world better. HPC is a great uh, industry for that because you're working with the cutting edge in you know research and development and drug okay. design and all kinds of stuff and so you can see how the world is going to be a better place because of the results mm -hmm. of your work and that helped us attract a better caliber of people too um, okay. and so uh, yeah so we basically were, we were remote first and a lot of the perks you know that I think people love that they can drive up costs you don't need them not that they're not bad not that I didn't mm -hmm. appreciate them but if right. you're I I I, I feel you get a true sense of satisfaction from succeeding. 
And a lot of those perks are nice, but mm-hmm. if you're, if you're winning for lack of a better phrase, that, that gives people a lot of satisfaction and a lot yeah. of, uh, a passion for what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I think that helped. And then, yes. And then we, we were very, so the, the downside of being bootstrapped is that you have to be very careful about where you invest. You don't have a lot of margin for error there. Exactly. And so we did make some, we did make some mistakes along the way. Uh, uh, absolutely. Everybody does. But mm-hmm. uh, um, the, 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 it forced us to be customer focused because if we built something people weren't going to buy, if we built something that didn't solve their problems, that was an existential risk for us. Right. Um, you know, I might have to lay somebody off. And, and, uh, and so it, it provided discipline around product development mm-hmm. um, and, and whatnot. Now, I will also say this, if you are consulting uh, as a way of bootstrapping or as a way of kind of side, side channeling revenue, right. just be very careful. It's very, I don't say it's easy money, but it's um, in many ways, consulting is easier than building a product that gets wider adoption. Right. And so as a result, it can be very hard to stop doing it. Um, and so we, it was, again, we made a very deliberate yeah. decision at cycle at one point where we just said, look, we've got to stop. We've, we've got to sink or swim on our product revenue, not our consulting mm. revenue. And we started turning down consulting contracts Said, Nope, you wow. know, we're building products, you know, and, um, and that was one of the best things that we did. But at the time it, it, it was a very, you know, maybe the company would be out of business in a year, but at least, mm-hmm. at least we'll know we made that, 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 you know, that three point shot at the buzzer. Right. 100%. I mean, uh, from what I'm hearing, like throughout your career, right, again, from like dropping out of college, right, doing these ventures, this conviction here, like cutting, you know, literally revenue, right, that you could have earned. It's, it's again, just constant risk, right? And it seems like you've taken all these good, good bets um, throughout your career. Um, I also want to take talk about perhaps your most recent bet, right? Which is um, going into Anaconda. Um, and I've been talking to you before, right? Anaconda was basically like my spark for CS. I would, you know, do coding lessons at 4 a.m., waking up at 4 a.m. just so I could, you know, learn the most recent, you know, um, skill, task, whatever, like coding tic-tac-toe or whatever. But, you know, for you specifically, after all your entrepreneurship entrepreneurship experience working, you know, going back into a company must be, you know, a transition, right? So why are you, you know, going into that transition? What about Anaconda kind of like brings you and draws you towards the company? Um, and yeah, why, why the change? So, uh, it's a great question. Um, another, probably too long a story for, for, for this uh, podcast. <laughs> right. Um, but the short version is, so, uh, I've been aware of Anaconda for a very long time because Peter Wang, who is the co-founder and yes. CEO currently of mm-hmm. Anaconda was actually right. the first person that I hired at Immersive. No way. Yep. Yeah. Peter, I hired wow. Peter out of college at Immersive Technologies. Holy and, um, uh, and, uh, <laughs> I will, I will, yeah. And so wow. uh, I had a chance to work with him all those years ago. Okay. I've known him. We've been, we've been best friends ever since. So I've always been aware of Anaconda. We've, we've kind I of, see. it was, it was also somebody that we could, you know, we could kind of commiserate with each other mm. and talk about our relative challenges and, and some mm. of the trade offs of bootstrapping versus funding are conversations that, that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of the other people, by the way, Travis uh, and, and many of the other people at, at Anaconda right. um, and a lot of the early employees, I, I knew them. I, I lived in Austin at the time. Right. And so uh, I've always been aware. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned the mission uh, that we had at Cycle and at Microsoft uh, and Anaconda is a similar kind of mission driven uh, environment. Sure. They really want to make the world a better place, you know, data exactly. and the challenges that the explosions in data yeah. and and essentially upskilling the entire world, whether it's literally through learning about Python, mm-hmm. whether it's you know, enhancements to the Python programming languages and mm-hmm. environments, or uh, uh, just modern data kind of um, uh, uh, right. stewardship and analytics and all those kinds of things, like that will make mm-hmm. the world a better place. And so the mission was very appealing to me. And 
you know, they're they're a large company. This well, relatively speaking, a large company at this point. Mm-hmm. But but you know, everyone's tiny compared to Microsoft. And so it was yeah. it was really attractive to help them hopefully mm-hmm. get from the current stage to kind of the next stage in their growth and mm-hmm. and and ideally beyond. And so the mm-hmm. chance basically to work with Peter and and the team again, or, or I should say, to work with them there and yeah. again with Peter, as well as the the mission that kind of aligned with my own passion. Right. And the unique challenges, you know, so cycle was smaller than Anaconda when right. we got acquired. And so it felt like a chance to maybe take my cycle experience and my cycle mm-hmm. kind of learnings, but apply it at the next level up. That isn't a 200,000 person Microsoft. <laughs> um, now I, that said, I am a deep, deep, deep believer in the mission that we had at cycle and at Microsoft and that team is phenomenal. Uh, mm-hmm. HPC and AI has obviously been in the news <laughs> quite right. recently at Microsoft exactly. for a whole bunch of exactly. reasons. So they're doing amazing things. Uh, and uh, and that was very hard to step away from, but that team is phenomenal. And I have kind of all the faith that they're mm-hmm. going to deliver on on kind of the stuff they have planned. Uh, and, and, and so I felt it was a good chance for me to mm-hmm. leave that mission in extremely capable hands and then go and try and, and help Anaconda drive their mission forward. That's, that's sick. And that actually opens up so many other questions that I want to ask you, <laughs> um, which is great. Uh, but you know, time is limited. So I'll you can always do a follow up some other time. Most important. Yeah. Part two, definitely coming up. So, um, I mean, first of all, like Peter Wang, uh, I've, I've like listened to all of his podcasts. I've listened to him talk like on the Lex Freeman show, follow some of his work. Like not only is he an extremely technical guy, right. But he's also philosophically grounded, right. Grounded in the principles as well. You know, great dad <laughs> right so so he's he's just an amazing guy but and you, and you talk about teams right as well as like an important factor and where you work um the vision things on those lines so perhaps this is more of a human question but uh you know of the people that you work with right you know what are some of the best qualities that you do see in people do you think they were cultivated or do you think they were you know naturally and innate within them um what are you know perhaps traits that what's the maybe the number one trait that you want to embody right um, yourself yeah. um, that you want to, you know, see within others to determine if they're, um, you know, the best type of people that you will work with. Um, yeah, this is a very people question, but I want to get your thoughts there. No, it's a great question. Um, so I, I, I think it's both, uh, you know, people yeah. have, people have talent and, and I'm right. not going to, no, one, no one's going to deny that. Um, you know, I could have, I could have trained all my life to be a sprinter right. and it, it ain't going to happen for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. But that said, I haven't met anyone really haven't met anyone who, mm-hmm. who is successful, who didn't cultivate their talent aggressively. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think a mistake I made early on and, and or maybe not a mistake, but maybe a, a different philosophy was to focus on while I'm weak in these areas, I should improve them. Right. And I think uh, uh, honestly, no, I'm, I'm strong in these areas. I should double down yes. on those is, exactly. a, is a great alternative. And actually Peter was one of the first people I talked about that with um, when it looks for people I want to work with. Uh, I think, it's weird. We, another conversation with Peter mm-hmm. um, was that when, when I was younger and, and getting back to kind of the, the immersive right. days, I really prized kind of pure brain power. Right. And I really respected the, the kind of high bandwidth, deep technical expertise and, and, and not just in engineering. I, I, you know, I've worked mm-hmm. with, with finance people and, and other people and salespeople who were fantastic mm-hmm. too, but there was, there was really that. And um, this may sound weird, but as I've gotten older and I've worked with a lot more people, I really prize self-awareness. Right. Um, mm. And people who understand their abilities, the limits of them, where they're strong, where they're weak, what they yes. do well, what they don't do well, and 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 aren't their ego isn't wrapped up in that. Like that's a mm-hmm. superpower because then you can really 
put together a team, you know, okay, you're going to play center field. You're going to play second base. You're going to be yeah. the pitcher. And, and then you can also understand what the reality is and how you can adapt to that. Yeah. Um, and so I would actually take uh, maybe somebody who isn't quite as kind of naturally talented, uh, mm-hmm. but is very self-aware and has a hard, uh, a hard work ethic over right. somebody who is kind of um, maybe a little bit more naturally talented, but, but is lacking in those, in those latter qualities. Yes. And then overall, you have to be a good person, like getting right. back to that establishing trust. If, if, you know, if, uh, if, if you don't have integrity, if I can't mm-hmm. really feel like I can trust you, I can't take those risks. Exactly. Um, you know, we're all in this together. And so uh, my general was looking for people are, I want good people mm-hmm. who are self-aware, willing right. to put in the effort mm-hmm. uh, and that I can trust to kind of come with me on the journey. That's absolutely phenomenal. And, and honestly, like I, I it's resonates so deeply with the, um, looking at yourself, right? Almost from a third person perspective, right? As if you were behind yourself, right? And you got projected out and you look at yourself objectively and see how you're doing at the moment, right? Instead of first person, which is just basically what you see from your own eyes. Um, And as a leader, I'm sure, you know, you follow that philosophy and most importantly, right? Like you I think, I think, like you said, it used to be that technical element and it for, was for me as well. And a lot of hiring managers, right. A lot of kids think that, um, that's the only thing that matters, right. Stability to do the math. Um, anyone can do the math, right. Anyone can build the, you know, next best computer. Well, not, not everyone can build the next best computer, but they can, they can definitely, you know, try and, and, and do, do things, but you know, it's the, it's the softer human elements of it that really sets them apart, gets them hired, right? Gets them the deal, creates that relationship and everything along those lines. So yep. I, I deeply, deeply, you know, agree with that. Um, and yeah, I feel like, you know, for my final question, I always want to ask uh, a big, big, bold question, which is, uh, you know, like, what's the, what's the legacy you want to leave behind, man? Like you've done a lot in your career, um, built multiple businesses, inspired a ton of people. And, you know, obviously you still have uh, a large amount of time left, um to pursue bigger and even better things and of course it's my privilege to see you right now and see the snapshot of rob so seeing the next snapshot of rob will be even more exciting but you know what what is the legacy you want to leave behind where what does the future you know hold for you good question um it it might sound kind of trite or, or oversimplified or something like that but a, a while ago i don't know years ago i'd heard of the campsite rule which was in, yeah. you know and in, in, in i don't remember the exact context but basically you know leave things better than you found them um, and, and that could be relationships with other people, it could be mm-hmm. whatever. And so maybe this is a little, a little, uh, uh, large in the ego, but right. I would like to be able to look back and think the, the world is a better place because of, because I was in it, you know, that the people that I interacted with, uh, right. I, I was able to help maybe bring something out inside them or, or provide some, some joy and some camaraderie right. and that, and that, you know, there was a positive impact and, and, and I look for things that I feel will energize me along those lines mm-hmm. that, that, you know, to your point about passion and everything else, like that's, Absolutely. that's what, that's what gets me up. And um, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a, a judgment on any other kind of what people, what, what motivates them or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, yeah. I think, I think I will feel satisfied if I can look back and say with the time I was given, things are better for, for mm-hmm. the, you know, everybody else, you know, because of, because of the effort I put in. And with that, thank you, Rob so much for your time thank you absolute pleasure yes it has been a mind as well i really appreciate